I'm Aysan, it's Friday, and this is The Friday Show. It's the Southampton doubleheader this week, and joining me to look back and look forward at it, I've got a man on a beach, Mr. Howard Hawkins. Morning, Howard. <laughs> Morning. Are you literally recording from the beach? No, I'm in a, <laughs> a darkened bedroom at the moment. <laughs> well, in that case, you could be back at home, couldn't you, really? Well, no, there's no leaf blower. There's no tree being <laughs> chopped down. Wee. There is a dog next door, a very loud one, so let's just pray it doesn't start barking during this show. So. Okay, and very quickly, um, weather update, weather watch, what kind uh, of temperature are you looking at today? Well, I could annoy everyone by using Fahrenheit, so Go I will. On. It's 77 and very sunny, so. Oh. 25. On the 1st of November, that's absolute madness. Where are you? Uh, Banal Madonna, near Malaga, so. Lovely. Lovely, it's going to rain tomorrow, if that makes anyone feel better. So. <laughs> I'm sure it doesn't, but uh, thank you for trying to make our audience feel better. I do uh, No, it I really is going that. to rain tomorrow, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. All right, well, listen, um, it's the Friday show. Uh, I've got an opening question for you. Let's dive straight into it. If you were a Liverpool fan, would you be happy with Klopp's attitude towards the domestic cups? Um do you have sympathy for them over the fixture pile-up problems with the quarter-final of the Carabao Cup tie? Um, and in particular, his comments about, you know, we won't play. Uh, how, how did you feel about that? Yeah, mixed mixed feelings, because mm. I'd like to have a go at him. Uh, no, generally as a fan, I absolutely despise when managers you know, discard domestic cup competitions. Because uh, I just think it's disrespectful. And it's just, you know, they're big things. So I mean, we talk about the Carabao Cup, I can understand everyone kind of approaches that the same. So, yeah, they put some youngsters in. Uh, but it's quite clear, the FA Cup, I find it harder to to uh, to accept that managers would do that. I mean, the managers that used to do it, with middling Premier League teams because Survivor was so much more important just, you know, that they thought going on a cup one might be, make the difference and it didn't really. I remember Sam Allardyce doing it all those years ago with Bolton. I just think it's a, a real miserable way to, <laughs> to to live your life if you just disregard some of the competitions. But you're taking a gamble when you do that and f- for Liverpool, you can't say it hasn't worked because... Look at where Liverpool are now and having won European Cup and or Champions League and got to the final the year before and been in one league chase and now being six points clear. It's hard to argue that it's not that it's kind of worked and that's the gamble you take, really. It's your eyes up fall from whether it you really do benefit from it. But as a supporter, no, I find, I just find it very hard. And I do like the fact, you know, that Pep does take all the competition seriously. Uh, even if it, you know, if it does affect us further down the line, then so be it. You know, I, I've always said it many times. I've had an affinity towards the FA Cup since I've been a child, and a, and that will always remain there. However, they mess about with the competition, the FA or whatever they do to it. I still think it's a special competition, and you know, domestic treble last year that's never been done before. Uh, so I mixed feelings in a way. I, I would hope, as a Liverpool supporter, if they win the league, and they will at some point, that they now start, he starts refocusing on domestic or the FA Cup a lot more. 
Because I think they went out to Wolves last season. And to be honest, it didn't look as though they were, you know, trying that hard. But then you could probably say, you know, as, as much as we take it seriously at City, City's performances in the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup have not been that amazing a lot of the time. And we've had some bad exits, of course. So what Klopp's doing isn't a million miles away from probably how most managers approach the domestic cup. So, you know, I'm not going to wade in on him because they've got the Champions League. It proves to be the right decision. As for the fixture congestion, well, yes, I do have some sympathy. I don't have sympathy with him making threats to pull out. But what more could he do? You know, I'll ask you that question. What can he do about this situation now? They can't play two different teams within two days, can they? Well, what he should do is wait for uh, the EFL to make a decision before yeah. he opens his mouth in a press conference. Mm. I think that um, I think you're very generous in <laughs> pretty much everything you've said there. Um, well, the sun's I, out. Asa, I know, so. I know, and it's it's absolutely lashing it down here. So I'm <laughs> definitely not feeling that generous. Um, I'm not sure that I. I'm not sure that they don't win the Champions League because they got themselves knocked out of the Carling uh, out of the Carabao Cup last season. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't believe that. Um, I can understand why the Carabao Cup feels like an annoyance, and I can understand completely why managers choose to play mixed sides so sides with half and half youngsters and and senior players got no problem with that I think that what I found quite unpalatable yeah is that you win a cup tie and then you go into a press conference and you say well we might not play in the in the quarterfinal so you know Arsenal can have it or Villa can have a bye that's disgraceful in its uh, uh, in its general attitude towards the competition. It's mm. disrespectful to both Villa and to Arsenal. It's disrespectful to his players who have just put in a shift to get through to the next round. It just it just stinks of uh, frankly, yeah. I think that if Pep Guardiola, or I'll even widen that, Jose Mourinho goes into a press conference and makes comments like that after a Carabao Cup tie, I suspect that everybody goes, that's disgraceful. How arrogant is that? How much are they disrespecting this competition? They could say the same thing about the World Club Championship or whatever it is that they're entering with FIFA. It's not, they don't even have to go there. As far as I'm aware, aware, the Carabao Cup, they have to play a team in the, this, this FIFA thing that they're going to is invitational. They don't even have to turn up. Do you know what I mean? It's, mm. uh, it's, I'm sorry, but I just, I found it, I found it staggeringly arrogant the way he spoke after yeah. that game. Um, yeah, th- I agree with the threat side of it. That's bang out of order. And you're right. The, the fallback from it has been, is different according to who says it. Totally. I mean, it's just, it's, it, you know, it's, it's not about, you know, I didn't write the opening question, so I'm I'm okay to talk about it. For me, it's uh, it's really a, uh, it's really a nonsense what he said, and it's really a nonsense that nobody's really picked him up on it. And I think that it feeds into this kind of creeping. Uh, there's something about Klopp that I think is is becoming quite unpalatable in the way that he speaks, um, and I'm no you know. I, I'm not a huge fan 
of the way that Guardiola is with the media, but I understand why he is the way that he is with the media. But I think that he is more... I think Pep tries to say as little as possible and they basically keep throwing the same question at him in different ways until he bites. I think you don't need to do that with Klopp. I think with Klopp, you need, you know, half a worm on a hook and he's going to bite, basically. Uh, he, He likes the sound of his own voice and he's impressed enough with himself that he's comfortable, for example, saying that like he did after the cup side, well, we just won't turn up for the, uh, for the quarterfinal. I mean, yeah, no, I, uh, I find it really, really, really unpalatable to be honest with you. And I think that if many other managers said it, they'd be lambasted for it. I'm not really sure how he's got away with it. Yeah. And that's always the case. Arsenal played to the canvas of, you know, joy at the victory, but he didn't want to win that match. At no. All. Well, I mean, it's, so the other issue is the match going fan. You know what? It's a disrespectful if you're, I mean, on this occasion, they got tremendous value for money by going to that match. But if you're going to a, you know, in a cup competition, you're a fan that's going to matches when you're pretty sure your manager wants to lose the match. That in itself is utterly disrespectful to your fan base. Yeah. And yeah, as you say, I don't know. We don't know if, if he'd taken tournaments more seriously. We don't know. If that would affect other tournaments, because you don't know who picks up an injury or what happens, it's it's the unknown. But obviously, the fewer fewer tournaments you play in, then the more chance you've got of the ones that are left. Or the few tournaments you play your first team in, the fewer you know, the lower the chance of injury. So it can have a knock on effect. Uh, you know, Sergio Aguero could have got injured this week playing. It's just you know, it's just chancing to end by disrespecting domestic cup competitions, you're less likely to pick up the injuries. And as we know, they've had very few over the last couple of can years. You, can you even claim to be uh, a top side, a big side, if you don't win multiple trophies? I mean, it just, it's it seems quite... Uh, there was a point at which I understood with Klopp, with Pochettino, few other managers that were chasing the top four, chasing the Premier League title, chasing the European Cup. I can understand in moments why you go, you know what? The Carabao Cup is a little bit of an annoyance. But at the same time, surely, like we're all, you know, you're the metrics for winning and losing are pretty, pretty small in terms of how you define being successful. It really does just come down to trophies. So, you know... Let's say Klopp doesn't win the title this season, yeah? I mean, you've got one trophy to show for five and a half years at a football club. I mean, I'm sure a lot of the supporters will go, well, the ride was great. But ultimately, is that really success for you? I mean, I don't know. Like, I maybe we have an even higher bar than Liverpool do. But for me, I just feel like, you know, any season you don't win a trophy... You've failed, right? And yeah. winning those domestic cups is the baseline. Like that's where you begin. That's like your that's your first hurdle. Yeah. The big hurdle is always the league title in the European Cup. But those domestic cups, they're the first hurdles. You gotta, you know, they're the pots that you bring in early, particularly the Carabao Cup. That's the one that you put on the shelf in February. You go, bang, we've won a trophy. And it's uh it's quite surprising the um the manner in which some clubs or managers just 
are genuinely, genuinely not bothered. And I can, I almost, it makes more sense to me when relegation threatened teams decide that the Carabao Cup or the FA Cup isn't yeah. for them. Yeah. Because that's a real, that's a thing that I understand. But to, when you're talking about top clubs, when you're talking about United City, Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool, Spurs, even Everton, you got squads. Deep squads, loads of top players. It's just it's a baffling thing for me how you uh, how you 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 basically toss it off year after year after year after year. And before anybody says to me, yeah, but you said last season at the end of the season, or maybe next season we shouldn't take them as seriously. I said that at the at the I said that after the Spurs Champions League tie, and by the start of this season, I was like, yeah, no, I want to win every trophy that's available, and that's just that's how I feel that you cement yourself as one of the top clubs in the world and cement your place in history. So I think that's that's my feeling on it anyway. Yeah, I think two fan bases see it very differently because they're more obsessive about the Champions League. We want uh, the Premier League, but we also want to accumulate trophies. Yeah. And it all began with the FA Cup in 2011. That was the start of everything. 100%. The start of the tide turning in Manchester. It, was tied. it led to a league title. Yeah. You know, the league title came next, and it's accumulation of trophies after a very barren spell. It, it's important. A league cup by itself is not be all and end all, but if you win the league as well the same season as we've done, what at least twice? Is it twice? Uh, then obviously, it, su- suddenly, a league plus a league cup is uh, you know a bit quite a bit more than just a league. It's it's a double of sorts. Might not be the traditional double, but it's still a double. Uh, so yeah, it's they all matter. It's all the accumulation of trophies in a way and a, a mentality at the club. I agree, and it's yeah, you know, it's trips to Wembley, it's things for the fans, it's four league cups in six years, two FA cups, that's six trophies. It's not nothing, is it? It's no. If our, you know, if our managers had just disregarded all that to try and go for leagues, then our history would be a lot poorer for it over the past decade. Absolutely. And I just, I, I mean, I, I think, I think ultimately that's what we're all in it for is to win pots, whatever kind of pots they are. And I think that there's a, there's a line between disrespect and being pragmatic about how you treat the domestic cups. And the way that Klopp spoke after the game was, in my opinion, the most disrespectful thing I've seen or heard from a manager since Ferguson United just didn't turn up one year. Do you know what I mean? Because I just, I think, I think wow. it's one thing to, you can field any kind of team you want, like Pellegrini did, and then say after the fact, that's the way that if you put the fixtures like that, if you give us four fixtures in six days or seven days, then something's going to give. And in this instance, this is what gave. I've got no problem with that. Saying before the match, we're not turning up. I know I've said it a load of times, but yeah, it's just beyond the pale for me. Latest to, uh, latest to that as anything that should be acceptable for a, for a manager to say. I don't want to, uh, yeah, don't want to come out in defensive United, but I think they're, them not playing the FA Cup was a bit more nuanced than refusing to turn up because they were pressured a lot. Uh, It's still the wrong decision in my, yeah, I still think what they did was wrong, but, uh, because again, it's the fans that pay for that. Uh, but Klopp, I mean, <clears throat> as for Klopp, he knew. Yeah, we could have, he could have talked about this earlier in the season. 
he knew that the when the quarterfinal draw or when the fixtures were due to be played for the quarterfinal, and he knew it would clash. So this is something he could have discussed beforehand as well. Yeah, or been in dialogue about beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay, let's move on. I think we've done that to death. Squeezed every last drop of interesting conversation we could out of that. Um, very quickly, quick look back at, um, at the League Cup tie against Southampton. Uh, was there a lot to take from the performance or was it just a case of get the result and move on? Yeah, it was, it was a bit standard. I mean, I'm happy with it. So, yeah. You take that from it. I think what you take from it was the, uh, you know, again, it's a new team. So I'm not expecting peerless play, understandings, uh, amazing link-ups. Because, again, you've got little relationships all over the pitch of players who've never played together. You've got a youth player who's probably played, never played in that position. Uh, you know, at any level, I don't know. But what you take from it is... City do what they do in this competition. And I don't think, you know, I've discussed it before, I don't think any team rarely plays at 100% in this competition. But again, they've shown the depth of the squad. They've shown the youngsters coming through. And what I took of it was that, you know, the domination of the ball in the first half. That even with a hugely changed team, uh, their domination of possession was very impressive indeed. Uh, but they won. Yeah, it was pretty comfortable. Uh, but yeah, you don't really make s- sweeping generalisation, you know, conclusions about any of the players really, because it's not really a competition that you do that in. No, no. I mean, how did the? Uh, how did the? I, I guess that the the big talking points were obviously the youngsters who played. Um, so, just very briefly, what did you make of Doyle's debut? What did you well, make of Angelino? Yeah. What did you make of Foden? Uh, yeah, Doyle, I thought, was excellent, really, in a position he probably, you know, say doesn't play in. Uh, it was lively, swept up. It's very hard because the team kind of eased off as a whole in the second half. I felt that once it got to 3-0, they essentially just thought they could coast over the line. Uh, and it all got a bit bitty and messy, and Southampton got back into it because they decided, you know, they showed some fight after what happened last weekend. And I find the last half hour pretty much irrelevant and very hard to judge. Uh, but I thought I thought Doyle was excellent. I thought Foden was unspectacular. Not his greatest game, to be honest. But one cross that was as good as anything I've seen this season. Uh, Angelino, I know you've discussed on the review, was lively. Uh, and hopefully he's not too badly injured either. You know, I thought he did fine. No one... Cramp, apparently. Cramp. If it is cramp, well, that's great, because obviously mm. cramp doesn't keep you out for a month, uh, especially you know, if we're relying on Mendy for two weeks. No, no one was spectacular, Garcia, as well. You know, It's just they all did a job. Uh, fine, dominated the game for most of it. I'm happy to see him get to game time and develop. I, I don't think I can really take much more out of it than that. Because, again, you know, in defence, we were not really tested until about an hour in, so... Uh, but what can you say? Because everyone's playing new roles in a competition against a team that's a bit bruised and battered, and it's all very hard to make conclusions. Uh, but it's—I mean—it's just you know—it's just so nice to see someone like Doyle on the pitch. To be honest, 
Absolutely. Yeah, you you want in this competition before at least up to the semi final. I want to see at least three three youth players on that you know, on that pitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no one stood out spectacularly. I think they all just did a job. Okay. Okay. Um, what were your I guess thoughts? Sorry, I know you would have discussed it on the review, but my thoughts on the on the three young lads. I mean, I, yeah. I, I think I think they did. I think the big thing for me is that that was a sh- that was our reserve team, a shadow team, and we Southampton picked more or less their best eleven, and City absolutely dominated them, and none of those kids looked out of place yeah. in that side, and. It's kind of scary that we can kind of put in put makeshift teams together like that and still play like the first eleven more or less. Yes, um, that was my kind of overriding takeaway, I guess. Um, the one senior player that I want to talk about, and it's interesting because uh, Martin Blackburn has has done a piece on it today, and that is uh, Gabriel Jesus uh, playing from the left. I think Black Martin's piece says that, you know, Jesus has said that he's prepared to be converted into a winger to win a place in the City side. Um, what do you make of Gabriel Jesus playing from the left or even from the right where he plays for Brazil? No, I've put that in for you to answer because you may have asked. I was interested in your thoughts. You might have watched the game more closely than me. Well... Uh, I mean, I he's, he's bright, but yeah, I still, you know, I'll just be very brief. I just, it's the same problem with Gabriel Juice. I'm not sure what his position is. Mm. He's bright yeah. enough, but it's goal threat. Is he a, are we expecting a constant goal threat like Aguero, or are we, we expecting to press the team effort? Uh, on the latter one, he's doing just fine. Yeah, I mean, I just don't, I, I don't think that, I was quite critical of him on the review of the, yeah. uh, of the League Cup game. Um, I'm just not convinced that that he's a a wide forward in a front three. I think it's very different playing at international level for Brazil with all the other players that they have and the types of games that they play in and the type of football that they play. Um, I think it's a little bit different when you come at City and you're playing in the Premier League week in and week out. I just don't think that Jesus is a wide forward Um I don't think that he's got the pace to get in behind. I don't think that he's got the... Um... So, I mean, maybe the thing that I've... the the When I look at Jesus and his development, maybe the thing that's disappointed me the most is that I feel as though from a learning point of view, he's not learned either position any better. So he doesn't play the number nine position any better than he played when he turned up. Whereas Aguero plays the number nine position so much better than when Guardiola turned up. I think simil- similarly, if you look at him playing from the left or from the right, it doesn't look any better. I mean, people still reference that Spurs game when he first turned up as maybe his best performance ever for City or his best cameo for City. Um, and it is a little bit of a worry if you go, if you've got to go back two and a half, three years to find Gabriel Jesus's standout performances, whether they be at number nine or yeah. 
in the wide forward position. So yeah, I mean, maybe I don't want to hammer him, but I just think purely from a positional point of view, if the question is framed in such a way as to lead me up the garden path of, well, if Leroy Sane leaves, for example, can Gabriel Jesus be one of the extra bodies as a wide forward and we can buy another number nine? No. No. Um, I don't think that's the answer. No. Well, he doesn't have that explosiveness, does he? Or, no. Or the, you know, even the goal threat of Sane, in a way. No, and, not know, from wide. Not from wide forward. So, yeah, Sterling has developed and he kind of, he'll cut in and curl one into the top corner from the edge of the area or, I just, yeah, I don't, I don't know at the moment. Uh, yeah, I don't want to hammer him because he's not playing badly as such. And Pep loves him for his pressing and his team effort. But ultimately you need a bit more than that, don't you? You need a real, you know, the stats need to show. Stats are not everything, but his stats need to improve in that respect. Needs to be involved in goals a lot more. Mm, yeah, no, absolutely. I just, I, I think that I'm trying to decide how I say this, Howard, because um, <laughs> I know that I know the pelters that will come, particularly from from the noisy boys. Um, I think sometimes you can be a supremely talented player, and it just doesn't work out somewhere. And I fear that we're getting closer and closer to the point where... I think with Jesus, the idea was bring him in and in two and a half years, three years' time, by the time it's time for Aguero to retire or move on, it'll be really obvious that we've got another world-class number nine ready to step in. I think the problem is right now, he's not kicked on and he doesn't look like that. And now we're getting closer and closer to that moment where we will have to replace Aguero. And I think that that makes it a very, very, very challenging um, call to make on Jesus, uh, both in the short term and the medium term and the long term. Yeah, I mean, Uh, we said last week, He's not going to be the the replacement for Aguero. When Aguero goes, we will buy someone else. So it's more a case, is he good enough to be then the fellow striker along the new signing? Uh, and I guess this is this is probably the key season for him. You know, I saw it like, I don't know what newspaper report it was, like putting a £100 million tag on him to stop buying Munich interest. It's probably made up nonsense, but, you know, at that sort of price, well, no, he's not. <laughs> he's obviously not worth that at the moment. Uh, it depends if he does kick on. Yeah, you can still you can say he's young for as long as you want. At some point, he needs to develop. Uh, but if he stays fit as well, as always, you know he was hampered in the past with injuries and in and out the side. It's hard. It's hard in a way when you're being moved around and uh, playing sometimes and not playing other times. But if he stays fit this season, it's a key season for him. Yeah, definitely. He's got to win the trust of Pep and that he can contribute more to, to goals. Absolutely. And I just, I think that it keeps coming back to this thing where for maybe two years now, I felt like the next game is the one where he explodes. The next game is the one where he, you know, basically introduces, reintroduces himself to, to, to the world of football as a top, top number nine for City. Um, and that's the thing. It just, it just doesn't, hasn't happened yet. And I think this is the, the make or break season. And for the moment, like, you know, I just, I had a long conversation with somebody the other day where for me, I've come to the conclusion that Jesus's biggest problem is that whereas Aguero can do both, 
He can come deep and he can run in behind. Jesus can only come deep. And that means that there's just too much pressure on your Mares, your Sterling, your Bernardo to then become the number nine and score goals because Jesus is basically doing all of his work with his back to goal. And in a system like ours, I think you need a guy ideally who can do both. Yeah. Um, okay, listen, I I think that's enough because I'm going to take pellets for it. I can feel it already. <laughs> yeah, well, I think the key thing is, you know, we obviously go into depth with players. We're not... We're not right enough saying he's he's rubbish. He clearly isn't that. Uh, but it just you know the the bar's so high. It's like you know let's just look at the players who improve year on year. Who Pep improves? If what even if he stands still in this squad, it's kind of a failure. You know, it's kind of a criticism uh, that you don't. We pretty much expect everyone to improve. Yeah, you know, it's just very different times to how it used to be. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, okay, last thing on the Carabao Cup. The quarterfinal is on December the 16th. Bad timing? Uh, yeah. <laughs> 16th, yeah, leading up to Christmas. But again, depends. If we've got a full, mostly fully fit squad, then you know we are going to see some youngsters again. We're going to see Bravo in there if he's fit. Uh, doesn't have to be the end of the world, basically. It depends who's available. Mm. But again, it, you know, it'll be a very similar squad. And it may depend on who didn't play the game before and planning ahead for the game after. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, we've been here before many times, haven't we? So, Well, look, the draw favoured us. Yeah. Hot balls, all that business. So, um, uh, yeah. Did it, though? So- <laughs> <laughs> no, well, all I will say is read. I've, I've written a blog today about our cup draws. Please read Howard's blog about our cup draws on the Night 320 website. And part of the argument in the middle of there is, is this really an easier draw than, say, drawing Liverpool? Who don't want to play. <laughs> who don't want to play or will put youngsters in. But yeah. Or say yeah. that Arsenal got through, you'd be playing mostly a youth side. So is this Oxford, I imagine? I mean, I think they're fifth in League One. So they're going for promotion, but they're not going to turn down this opportunity not to put a first team out against us. Yeah, which I'm sure they did. Was it last season when we played them? Uh, so is it really harder to get a League One side, their first team, than a Premier League side who's just going to throw a load of youngsters in? I'm not sure there's that much of a difference, to be honest. Mm, I know absolutely what you mean, 100%. So, yeah, I mean, but and also, I mean, look, I think that cup draws, we're getting into empty seat territory, aren't we, in terms of just stuff to just yeah. stuff to throw at City just for the sake of it, you know what I mean? I mean, I, I can't think of a mo- more irrelevant guy than Matt Law on Twitter. Like, it's just a just dude, it, everything that comes out of his mouth about City is very similar to Rob Harris and Duncan, Duncan Castles in that it's just, you know what he's aiming for, you know... You know, he's not playing for us. He's not performing for us. He's not dancing for us. He's dancing for the Scousers, yeah? yeah. And the, uh, and the plastic United fans around the country who lap that nonsense up. So, yeah. Anyway. So, Southampton visits again tomorrow afternoon. Uh, I mean, hey, let's do the cliche first. Is it difficult to play the same team twice in a week? Or is it all about who the team are and who you are? Uh, I think historically it has been because I mean I, I have just vague memories of you know when you play a team twice 
and get two very different games, even though it's kind of the same team, you know, the same 11 players lining up. It is a bit weird, but this is different in that the teams that line up, you know, this weekend will be significantly different from the ones during the week. So yeah, we'll have the same kit on and they might, <laughs> the same people might be in the stands, but it's kind of tactically, it's kind of a fresh challenge. So it, whilst it is weird and a bit of an anomaly, I don't think anything, the fact that we played them on Tuesday is really going to have any bearing on how this game goes. Okay. I think what? it's more, I think the story is not City as such, it's Southampton and the fallout from last Friday's game against Leicester mm. and how Hassan Hootel approaches the game or both games. Mm. I think he's kind of happy to have lost 3 1 during the week. Mm. So now it's a case of how he plays this one. Mm. Um, so I'm going to throw something out there. I think that tomorrow will be much more challenging than midweek. I, I saw an interview with, with this Hassan Hootel after the game where he basically said, uh, he was asked about the way that they played on Tuesday. Um, and he basically said, look, after what happened on Friday, uh, we just needed to stabilize. And that's why. Yeah for one night we played like this. Um, and I think they were more stable. And I think the thing that we should look at as City supporters, if we don't want to be complacent, is look at the last 10 minutes of the game. Look at once those substitutions happen. And, you know, because it, you you felt as though where he had rotated was in the forward line where Shane Long starts. Um, whereas I think once you've got, I think is it Shea Adams and Redmond who come on? I think that they're, they're more likely to be the two who start. Uh, I think they were just more dangerous in that last turn. They pushed harder um, and the game just wasn't... I mean, you can see from Guardiola's reaction to their goal that he changes the sub straight away and yeah. it basically goes, this game's not over. Um, and it didn't feel over when they scored that goal. So I think the worst thing that we can do is go into tomorrow being complacent, going, yeah, they're going to roll or so, uh, we're going to roll them over. I think we have to be um, smarter, more focused, and hungrier tomorrow than we were in midweek because I feel almost certain that Southampton will be hungrier. They will try harder. I think that where sometimes, you know, teams like Southampton, it's a 50 50 as to whether playing against City is a good thing or a bad thing. Because for me, Southampton, they're like a a different version of Wolves, right? Different version of the same coach. Very tactical. You know, the shape will be the shape. The positions will be the positions. The way the way the, the way that they they'll play will be compact, but they will try to also be progressive going the other way. And I think that in games like that, the onus is on us to be so much better than them that we get the breakthrough early because I think that I've said this loads of times the longer those games go on the more that you give the opposition a little bit of something to grab hold of I think that guys like Adams and and Redmond will fancy going the other way getting in behind us they will know the defensive issues on paper at least that we have Um, so yeah I mean I I think it's a much more um I think it's a much trickier game than it f- maybe felt at the start of the week when you're looking at the two games after the 9-0. Um, have I talked them up too much there, Howard? 
No, I, think, I mean, I assume Danny Ings is fit, so he'll come back in as a top scorer. Uh, Bertrand, he's, well, he'll be suspended, won't he? Which is good for us, I guess, going forward uh, after his red card against Leicester. No, uh, it's, yeah, it's frustration in a way. If the, that, That's what they'll be looking for, frustration. They'll be, basically, it's whether we score early or not. But if they stay compact... This is their key. Yeah, I think the midweek game help, helps them in a way, despite losing. It's just a buffer between the, you know, this game at the weekend and the Leicester thrashing. So they will be a lot more compact. I think they'll be focused. And it's, it's that age of problem that City face when they've got a, a team kind of playing dead. And they know, every manager knows now that, yeah. That if you look to break, I don't know if they've got the pace that other teams have had that's done us, but they'll know that if they press selectively, they can get, they may get an opportunity on the break, and that's what they'll be looking for, because that's what other teams have done, you know, to beat us recently or cause problems. Mm, so, absolutely. you know, if City score early, it could absolutely, you know, it could be one of the easiest wins, but it's hard to know. It all, you know, it does depend on how compact they are, but. As you say, I don't believe in this complacency, but the the thing with footballers is they must go onto this pitch thinking, well, yes, we're much better. And just you, you only have to lose about 1% or feel that you're going to win it come what may. And it can have disastrous results. So it's no given, but I'd be amazed if they don't, if they don't try and replicate what they did against Villa. So, you know, just high tempo from the beginning, basically. Yeah. Uh, quick throwings, keeping that ball moving and in play. Uh, don't let any stoppages, don't time, early time wasting. I think they just want the game to flow quickly, just like it did last weekend. But then, yeah, we saw they did get that goal, but second half, they still came out comfortable winners. But I do think the longer the game goes on, yeah, the more Southampton will just grow in confidence. Because, They'll know that it's not going to be another Leicester. They're not going to get thrashed. And that just seeps into them, the confidence. And they might be a bit more proactive going forward, a bit more ambitious. So, yeah. I, obviously, City should win comfortably. <laughs> uh, because it's, yeah, I don't think they've got the players to, you know, to really pull out some, the sort of performance to cause a shock. They can frustrate, but have they really got the players to hit us enough and to keep a clean sheet, which is what they'd probably have to do. Uh, but the thing with City, you know, what, what you temper that with is City always lose when you least expect them to. So, And I think also... I mean, you know, I just, Norwich is former Wolves form. Exactly. Since playing us, it's... We thought Norwich... Or Spurs. Were, yeah. Well, Same Spurs thing. was just one of those games where, you know, play it any other day, we win that by three goals, you know, with 30 shots on goal. Uh, but we thought at the time, Wolves, this is it. They're, they're getting their season back together and they haven't. So, yeah, it's strange, right? It's been a strange season in a way. But this is a, on paper, this is one we should be winning by three goals minimum. Mm. Well, I'm, I'll just take a win. I, I don't care how many goals it's by. Um, listen, so in a moment like this where potentially, well, there is a Champions League game next week, midweek. Is that right? I'm not making that up, am I? There is, yeah. Atalanta. Okay, right. So we've got a Champions League game in the middle of next week. Um, how do you approach selections? Do you go... Well, I'll tell you how I approach the selection. I don't care about the Champions League game. What yeah. I care about is beating Southampton. So 
if that's the attitude, what's the team that you're picking? Yeah, I don't think Champions League comes into this no. because we've got nine points from three games. Uh, if it was on the knife edge, Champions League it may make a bit of a difference, but I think it's very hard to plan two games ahead anyway. Uh, so obviously Edison comes in, Mendy's in. I think it was Stones and Fernandinho in defence. I think. But, you know, he could do Stones or Mendy, he could do. Uh, right back, I've no idea. But I think Cancelo, because we're expecting to be on the front foot and Cancelo maybe has more going forward, he may come back in. But then, you know, that overlooks Walker gets forward in the Carabao Cup and has a beautiful assist during the week. So, shows what he can do uh, when he gets forward. And I think it's just back to Gundogan, Kevin De Bruyne, Silva... Aguero, of course, Sterling, and I have a feeling Mares will start. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that old Bernardo. No, scrap that. I think Bernardo stays in. Mm, I think Bernardo stays in. I don't think Mares did enough. Enough. Yeah. Um, I think similarly. I don't think Walker did enough. I can see both um, Cancelo and Bernardo. Yeah. Being that uh, being that right hand side with KDB over there, um, David Silver and 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 Gundo and Stones for me, Mendy, uh, Sterling, and he's got to play Aguero. Yeah. Um, I, I don't see I don't see Jesus getting the uh, getting the nod. Um, do you think we get over the line, Howard? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, would, I would seriously hope so. Uh, I think the just one extra thing. If if it's going well, then the only nod to midweek is just like someone like Aguero or Kevin De Bruyne can be subbed on the hour, yeah, seventy minutes and stuff like that. That's the nod to midweek. Uh, yeah, but not in not in the starting lineup. I don't think there'll be any thoughts about the game after. No, not at all. I'd be really surprised if it isn't Fernandinho and Stones. Yeah. I think it's almost nailed on that it'll be Fernand Stones. Yeah. Um, okay, so. The other game we're going to have a quick chat about from this weekend, Everton play Spurs. Two bald men fighting over a comb, that kind of vibe. Um, <laughs> two under pressure managers got, is how you've written it. They've both got a beautiful head of hair. <laughs> <laughs> Metaphorically speaking, of course. Um, so who is under more pressure, do you think? I would say Silver. I'm just going to bring up the Premier. I mean... I mean, Tottenham have got 12 points from 10 games. And Everton have got 10 points from 10 games. So they're both under pressure. It, yeah, it does seem like we're, we're splitting those hairs to say who's under more. But I, don't, I think Pochettino's got credit in the bank that if he does go, it will be kind of him that makes a decision. I don't know. I think he's spoiling... You get the feeling that it's falling apart at Spurs and he might leave. But then... It wouldn't surprise me if they just suddenly turned it around and started winning some games because they do tend to do that sometimes. Mm. Uh, not that they've been in this big a fix for many years. But Everton, you know, I, I was discussing with my friend before we did this. I've put on the notes, Emperor's New Clothes with Silver. We're debating, is that the right phrase? <laughs> uh, but you know what I mean? He's, he's a, a, a manager who's got a reputation. I'm just wondering if he's actually deserved it, if he's ever done anything. Because he has been in demand a lot of times, mm. not by the hugest clubs, but he has been linked to some big clubs. 
and you just wonder what's he actually done to deserve that. I think his problem at Everton right now, he's got, again, he's got a lot of players and he doesn't really know the best 11. No. So he keeps moving things around and he keeps trying this, that and the other. And sometimes you get sparks, a good result here and there, something works, but then it changes again and it's all a bit messy and there's, yeah, I don't think he really knows. And they've still not really replaced Lukaku since he went either. So they have that, that striker problem. And it's just a bit messy. Yeah, their team doesn't make a lot of sense. I thought they were okay when they played us. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then they tend to you know, raise their game against us, even if we have started getting the results now. I just think he is under pressure. I didn't see the highlights last week. They were a bit cheated, apparently. But in the end, that doesn't matter. The fact is they, they lost. You know, they, he won't keep his job because they got a bad decision. He'll, you know, he'll keep his job by getting by getting points on the board. And if, if he loses a couple more, then they could be in a relegation zone. So. Who do you think's under? Do you think they're both under pressure? Yeah, I think they're both under similar amounts of pressure for different reasons. I think that the expectations at both clubs are, are very high. Um, I think they both, on some level, probably expected at the start of the season to make some sort of fight for the top four. Um, I think in, in terms of Marco Silva, I think a little bit he lacks the courage of his convictions. I think he wants to be a coach who plays progressive attacking football. Um, but I think that he struggles to commit to that I think that you know because that so he apparently has a the worst record of conceding goals from set pieces of any manager since he came into the Premier League right so there is a question mark over defensively whether he can organize a side I think from an attacking point of view they're just not as good as what they should be for the players that they've got in my opinion I actually think if you look at the 11 that Everton can put out there it's a really good 11 do you know what I mean it's it's an it's an 11 that you look at and you go you know Moise Keane Richarlison um Bernard, Andre Gomez, uh, the fullbacks, Coleman, Dinia, um, Yerry Mean is a decent uh, centre half. You've got Sigurdsson there as well. Got the England uh, keeper, if that means yeah. anything. Got but, Pickford yeah. in goal as well. I mean, it's just, it's very, it's very Spursy, actually, in the sense that it's the type of collection of players five, six years ago that Spurs were beginning to build, where you were beginning to go, all right, they might do something here. Um, obviously, with the exception of Harry Kane. Uh, but yeah, so I, I do think he's a little bit the Emperor's new clothes, Marco Silva. Um, they 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 flatter to deceive in the way that West Ham do Everton for me. They're 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 both clubs now with a collection of players that somehow should be more consistent than they are. Yeah. Um, as for Pochettino, uh, I thought they were awful against Liverpool last weekend. I I, I thought tactically. He was just bit disgraceful. I thought his selection was just bit disgraceful. I thought there were so many things that were just, just left me scratching my head. 15, 20 minutes yeah. into that game, I'm just like, Ericsson versus Robertson is just a mismatch. Ericsson has basically looked at, there was a moment where he looks across at the, uh, at the benches, looks at Robertson, run past him. And it's obvious in his eyes, he just goes, I'm not doing this. I am not going to run up and down this wing all afternoon. And you could see all the Liverpool players go, oh, all right, he's not going to do that. So we've got that outlet. 
every single time. And Pochettino just did nothing about it. And beyond that, he left Ericsson on the pitch for 75, 80 minutes. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. He's playing the players that are going to be leaving. It's weird, man. I don't understand what Pochettino's doing. I don't understand what's going on at Spurs. Yeah, bizarrely, Solskjaer gave him the blueprint the week before, which everyone knows anyway. Keep the fullbacks pinned back. It's absolutely key. And then he puts Ericsson up against Robertson. And Don Belly doesn't seem to be able to play two games a week. But, you know, it's like your £55 million Champions League experienced player. And, yeah, I agree with you. It's... His decision making has suddenly become very bizarre. He was always tactically clever. That's what I thought. You know, slowly built this team and tactically, he had real nous. Now he's just doing very weird and stupid things. I don't think that managers uh, make selections to get sacked, but I think that managers will make selections to make points. And I think that his persistence at play, picking players who he actually wanted firm decisions on in the summer. And that means either sell them or get them to sign a new deal. Um, I think that's sending a message out to Daniel Levy. I think the fact that it's what, 75 minutes before Lucas Maurer, Lo Celso or Undombele get anywhere near the pitch. I think that speaks volumes really. Um, It's, it's, for me, Poch is behaving in the way that Mourinho behaves yeah. when he gets to the end of his uh, end of his tether with a board of directors or a football club, and he starts making those decisions and giving those interviews that really gives the vibe of like you know, there's just po- too much too much politics being played, and I don't really like that. I think that I think that the only people who suffer in that instance are the supporters, and I don't think it's fair on the supporters. And I think right now, it's, I don't think it's fair on Spurs supporters. I mean, if I was a Spurs supporter, I'd be tearing my hair out. Because when we got to the Champions League final last season, over the last four or five years, we've consistently been one of the top four sides in the Premier League. We've been amazing. And suddenly this season, they've forgotten how to run and how to play football. That's not acceptable. Yeah, like, you know. Still another new stadium as well. It's totally. Like- Yeah, it was all coming together. They had the best team in a generation, the new stadium. It was a time to celebrate and be hopeful and optimistic about the future. And I mean, pre-season, they were my tip for third. I thought thought there was quite a clear hierarchy between the top two, City-Liverpool. I think Spurs was clear in third. Then there was a fight for the others. And yeah, the the fall from grace has been spectacular. Hmm. I put a left field question in there. Go on, lad. You know what I love about your left field question? I spent 90 minutes discussing that uh, with a friend of mine, literally, uh, two days ago. There's one, you know, if it's all going to fall apart, there's going to be a fire sale. Eventually, these players are not, they'll want the higher wages. You know, it's been Don't a, justify it. Don't no, justify no, but it. This has been bubbling. Ask it's the been, question first. No, no, I have got no, I need to do a lead up because it has been bubbling under the surface at Spurs for a couple of years that they don't get the wages the players that they could get if they went to other top six clubs. And whilst they were doing quite well on the pitch, it's been alright, but if the performances don't pick up, if they don't make the top four, then there will be an exodus. So the question I was asking, and it kind of links in because I've seen a change of style of play in this player recently. Would Harry Kane be a good signing once Sergio Aguero leaves? Oh, are you joking me, mate? He is the absolute 
he's the guy who should replace Aguero. I think that the the conversation I had a couple of days ago was framed like this. And I admit that I'm basically building a house of cards for why Kane could end up at City. I think there's a few things going on. I think firstly, um, if you look at it from Spurs' point of view, they are in the unenviable position of needing top four football financially, right? I've read in several places that if they miss out on Champions League money, that's a massive disaster for them having moved into the new stadium. I think that this season, unless there is a an incredible turnaround, I don't think they're going to finish in the top four. I think almost they're already too far away. Eight points, yeah. Yeah, so, so they're already too far away for me to to turn that around. Um, I think if you look at it from Harry Kane's point of view, Harry Kane hasn't won anything. Harry Kane is arguably, well, no, he is the best number nine of his generation, British number nine of his generation, arguably the top three number nines in the world over the last five years. He is 26. He will be 27, yeah, in July. So next summer, next season, is his 27 into 28 uh, season. I think from a contractual point of view, that's him two and a half years into the last deal that he signed. So I expect that it's that moment where his people either go a levy and go, I want a, uh, I want a new contract, or they go a levy and they go without Champions League football upcoming next season. I think that it's time for him to leave and go and win trophies elsewhere. Um, so I do think that we're getting really close to that moment where Kane's got to make a decision on his career. Now, the only unknown, like I said to to my friend, is I don't know how ambitious Harry Kane actually is. I don't know how much he wants to win trophies. I don't know how important Champions League football is to him. Um, But from a... If he is ambitious, yeah, and he does want to win things, then I think that he's getting to the stage where he'll have to make a call either this summer. I think this summer, I think with the, with the Euros coming around, it feels like a, a natural moment to, to make that step. And I think that at 27, knowing that the following summer, he'll be 28, even from a Spurs point of view, 28, 29 is very difficult to start commanding peak fees. Um, but I think next summer they probably could command a what? peak fee. What would that pick feed be? Negotiating with Daniel Levy for well, England's best striker in the generation. I think it's a, I think it's a similar conversation to the type of conversation that Gareth Bale had with uh, with Daniel Levy. I think that it's one of those where Levy will probably go when Harry go, when Harry Kane goes to him and goes, "I want to leave now. It's time." I think that Levy will respect that and he'll say to Kane, okay, fine. This is what I value you at. This is what I want. Now on the other side, and this is the, the question that my friend asked me and this is the question I'm going to ask you. Um, can you envisage a situation where City pay the fee to sign Harry Kane, bearing in mind that it will be 
a transfer record of some description. Not a City one, but a British one. Uh, yeah, as a one-off. Why? It's like it's like Mbappe in a way, isn't it? If they could have got him. They'll have to... I also fiddle the figures then. <laughs> City would never do that. They'll have to shift... Uh, yeah, it would take some doing because we don't have an unlimited budget despite what everyone says. It would have to be the sole signing of the summer. But I think they would do it because it's a special signing. It's an obvious one. I mean, let's be honest, if he says, I want to leave, you know, City would be in competition with about every other big club in Europe. I wouldn't be surprised if Real Madrid, you know, if Spanish teams, Italian teams might not have the money for him. Yeah, it's how many people could afford him. Even United will want him, even, you know, wherever they, whatever position they're in at the moment. So, you know, it wouldn't be easy to get him, even if, if, uh, if Spurs are ready to sell him. I disagree. I think City would... I think that we'd, we'd pay the money, yeah. Absolutely. Mm, I, I think that Harry Kane has only got three potential destinations. City, United and Real Madrid. I don't mm. think anybody else comes into the equation. Harry Kane isn't moving to Paris to play for Paris Saint-Germain. Harry Kane isn't moving to Italy to, to play for Juventus. Harry Kane isn't moving to Bayern Munich. Um, it's just not happening, yeah? Uh, I'd, I'd like to see him try and master Italian. Um, I just I think that I think that Madrid because of the relationship that Levy has got with Perez that always comes into the equation but I think that for Real Madrid in this instance because of Harry Kane's age because of his marketing profile or lack thereof for them I think that Perez is on a different kind of tip right now. He wants Neymar. He's bought all these Brazilians. He's bought Vinicius. He's bought the other one, Rodrigo. He's trying to buy all the best young players in the world. That's his vision. I expect that his next big plan will be Neymar or Mbappe out of, uh, out of Paris. So I just, I'd, I'd even, I'd even draw a line through Real Madrid. I think basically the house of cards that I built two days ago was if Hurricane leaves Spurs the only place realistically he can go is Manchester City because he's not going to leave Spurs for United because United are basically in the same boat as Spurs they ain't going to win anything for for the foreseeable future if anything you'd argue Spurs have probably got a better squad even if they are underperforming right now he'd be better off staying at Spurs um Liverpool aren't going to pay 150 million pounds for a for a 27 year old number nine. They just won't do that. That's not their that's not their mo. And finally, the big thing, which I think is something that is probably the key to why I think it happens with City, is because the one place where City have shown that they will overpay is for English players. I think yeah. with Sterling and with Stones, um, they made a decision they wanted the player, and then they just did the deal. And and you can even throw Walker into that into that and, basket because go on. Yeah. No, sorry, and replacing Aguero is the biggest call of all. Hundred percent the hardest 100%. one, perhaps, yeah. Absolutely. And it's the one where you can't go wrong because if you do go wrong without a number nine, you just won't win anything. So I think for all of those reasons and you know, also there's City, there's always method to their madness. They always plan in advance. They always, I like to think that they're at least one step ahead of what we think they are. And if you look at the, the lack of spending in the last two years, the fact that it's one player 
each season across four transfer windows over the two seasons. We've only bought two players. And you look at the outgoings in that period and you look at the way that the books were balanced. I mean, when people talk about City can't spend X for Maguire for FFP reasons, no, I've always felt that City won't overpay for certain types of players because they want that, you know, when they do that spend, they want the bang for their book, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that Harry Kane... From a marketing point of view, going into the next World Cup, Harry Kane and Raheem Sterling playing for Manchester City. I mean, you know, you've got England's front line playing for you. I think that's more valuable to City than it is to any other football club on the planet. Wow. I think was England's front line playing for them. Sane out, Sancho in. Yeah, there you go. I mean, look, you do... It's as if... It's... It's not inconceivable that Leroy Sane goes to Bayern and Sancho comes to City. That's a zero-sum game, yeah? It's a net spend of nothing. So you can do that and then go and buy Harry Kane in the same summer. Doesn't, you know, from a budgeting point of view, in theory, you should have that money available to you because you've not spent anything on paper for two or three years. Um, Wow, I've just spent 10 minutes talking about Harry Kane. The reason I put it in is what impressed me, and it's been watching England recently, is I've not spotted, is that his passing has been absolutely superb in an England shirt. He's become a false nine. I've not watched much of Spurs. Maybe he's doing it there as well, but that's a struggling team anyway. But he can really string, you know, it's not just about him shooting and scoring. He's, his link-up play, he's dropping deep, he's spread, spraying passes about. I've been really impressed. He's, he's, he's the nearest thing to Lewandowski in world football. Yeah. He's not far off the age that Lewandowski was when Pep got his hands on him. Uh, if you look at what Lewandowski says, Pep was the most important coach in his career because it made him think about football in a completely different way. And he just, the explosion of, of, of goals since then has just been, I mean, he his goal scoring record before he, Pep got his hands on him was excellent, but just gone on up and gone up another level. I just, I think it's, I think it's one that City would be remiss to not be exploring very, very, very hard behind the scenes because of the Aguero, um, because of Aguero's age and because, you know, Aguero is a guy who, you know, I genuinely believe that he will just wake up one day and go, right, I want to go now. And it won't necessarily be a case of I'm retiring. It might just be a case of, look, I've done 10 years here. or I've done nine years here. I just want to go and spend a year or two in the sun playing football Um and I think that we have to have a transition with Aguero that's seamless. So for all of those reasons, I'm, and I think that Harry Kane is an easier get than Mbappe. And Mbappe is the only other player in world football, maybe with the exception of Lewandowski, but he's too old, who I feel is a, you can go and do that and, and then you're okay. You've replaced Aguero. Um, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Should we stop talking about the snaps? I reckon for all the people who enjoyed it, there's going to be those that went, what are these guys on about? Um, okay, so final thing. Do Everton beat Spurs? Do Spurs beat Everton? Or is this really two bald men fighting over a comb and it finishes a score draw? Yeah, two will draw for me. Yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm not far off that either. Excellent. Right, Mr. Hawking, that was the Friday show. Thank you very much. You can go back to the beach now. Yeah, I'm going in the sea, so. Yeah, Excellent. to be on it, as always. To everybody who listened, this was the Friday show. We'll be back with a review of the Southampton game either Sunday afternoon or Monday morning. In the same, in, in this, in the meantime, be safe, be well, and as always, up the blues.